Hey there, welcome back to Bestowing the Brush, friends. You have tuned into the podcast that helps you and your homeschool flourish with drawing lessons. I talk about Charlotte Neeson, I talk about art, I talk about drawing and painting, and sometimes I have a friend on, and that's the case today. I have Elizabeth Michelle with me today. She's an artist who lives and works in Ontario, Canada, and she does plein air oil painting. We've become really good friends over Instagram. As you guys know, I love Instagram. It's an awesome tool. Love connecting with people on there. And she is there at Plain Air Finds. And so welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hey, thank you. Okay, you guys might remember that Elizabeth and I actually did one of those split screen Instagram lives. A while back, we talked about Lilius Trotter. We both read, um, well, remind me of the name of the book. Passion for the Impossible. Passion for the Impossible. And that was Lilius Trotter. She was a missionary to Algiers uh, back in the 19th century. And she studied under John Ruskin. And she did amazing, beautiful watercolor sketches. So we we read this book that had sort of meditations on Christ. And it was a little bit of her autobiography there. And I actually have that on YouTube. So if anyone's looking for that, the only place you can find that is YouTube. But today we are talking about perfectionism. It's kind of a scary word, but I have a feeling that a lot of you moms out there and a lot of you kids and students may have a problem with perfectionism. And I'll just tell you that we will pray for you because we don't struggle with that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but anyway, we've talked, Elizabeth and I have talked about this topic um, a couple times, and we just thought this could be an encouraging conversation for you because as we are both Christians and we're both artists, it's, it's those types of thoughts just run rampant through our mind all the time. So we have to really work hard to fight those feelings and those thoughts and make them captive to Christ. So hopefully this discussion will help you do the same. Okay, so I think we should start the conversation by let's talk about, Elizabeth, this great book that you're in in the middle of writing and what that book is about. Sure. Okay, so it really uh, was sprung from a time when I was realizing things about myself and I was realizing that I probably had a little more perfectionism than was healthy and it was manifesting itself when I was um, at a church and really involved with worship uh, um, with my husband. And um, I noticed in other people that it was sometimes difficult for certain people to sing. But I also noticed in myself when I was leading the worship that Uh, Something that I had done my whole life as a kid, I had been in many different musical uh, choirs, opportunities, piano, but then at this one point, uh, I don't know, I think that maybe the sin of pride or something got a little too large and I had to pay attention to that and in my Bible reading and in my time with the Lord, he showed me that, um, 
it was an egocentric sort of uh, an attitude. And even though it can sometimes feel like you're a victim to what's going on around you, to all these pressures and everything, that it still is actually your eyes being way too focused on yourself. And um, I noticed that in myself. And then I went about um, watching others and noticing that, yep, I'm definitely not the only creative or the only non-creative who struggles with this. So I wrote a little book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I remember reading a book by John Piper and I feel like I referenced in the last time I was on too, but I don't have the actual book that I was reading, but I think that the same quote is in this new book that I read by him. So I'm just going to read it real quick. So it says, if I fail to find God supremely satisfying to my soul, then I do not glorify him as I ought. Or to put it positively, if I do find God to be my supreme satisfaction, by that very satisfaction, God is put on display as the all-satisfying, all-glorious one. Therefore, I know intuitively that the revelation of his glory is for my ultimate joy, and that by finding this joy in him, he will be glorified. So it made me step back and say, well, like, am I finding the joy even in worship when I'm standing up there? Is the joy springing from, wow, we pulled it off this Sunday? Or is the joy coming from that painting went really well? Or is it rooted in that soul satisfying relationship that I have with the Lord? So that was really the springboard of this book. And it's about a little peacock. And he struggles with worship. But I want to just say right now um, that it's the arts, I think, um, that we were kind of referencing today and that, that I've been referencing on my Instagram and with my students. I don't teach music to students. I teach art. And I find that in, in, um, in the arts there, especially in middle school students. And I've referenced that on, on my Instagram but uh, we're using right now the analogy parable of a little peacock in the Garden of Eden who is asked to sing for God. So we don't actually have to make the leap so much because God is in the, in the story, and um, he is nervous about singing, and his he he confides in his grandpa, and his grandpa tells him that it's okay because there's going to be this person who makes his voice absolutely stunningly beautiful. And so the little peacock gets all excited, but as the days come up to the concert that they're supposed to have, this little peacock doesn't find this person and he's still waiting and he's still nervous. And if anyone's ever heard a peacock before, you know that they, they are not songbirds. They are honking birds. And so this little guy is trying to honk and he sees the other songbirds practicing and he's just getting more and more frustrated. So he finally ends up going with his, his choir of peacocks and they end up at the place where they're supposed to sing and he's still nervous. He hasn't found the person. And then God steps in. And when he sees God, all the focus is off his honk. And what does he do? Um, he honks anyway, and they all honk 
because they've come into contact and their soul is satisfied, if you will, um, with the sight of God's glory. And but as they're doing that, their their tails, right? And they're 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 baby peacocks. So they 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 don't know that their tails can do what their tails are doing in this story anyway. And so the tails fan out and they reflect um God's glory in a way that um God created them to do. But so we have in that there's like the the fact that they sang anyway and they couldn't help it and then they they did that but also that um God made them to be incredibly beautiful anyway. So hmm. I love that. That's <laughs> such great imagery. And of course there will be illustrations as well. So that's yeah. just the storyline of it. Um, okay, I have a question about that. Mm-hmm. Did you say that the other songbirds honk too? The so there's different choirs. So all his oh, okay. honk, but there are other songbirds like nightingales and chickadees throughout the book that all have okay. musical sort of tone. Oh, okay. Oh, I was just thinking at first um, that that would have been kind of neat to to kind of say that like all birds honk in comparison to what God does. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that part, that part was kind of, it reminds me of the, the there's a Psalm, uh, what is it? 93 maybe. Oh no. Psalm 103 that talks. Um, he's the psalmist just goes through and says, I will bless the Lord. I will praise him because of this. And I will. And he's saying, I will. And it's like, he's preaching to himself. He's like, it's like a pep talk. And he's actually uh, bringing his emotions into control. Um, He's, he's controlling his, his, um, it's like he's talking himself into praising God. He's preaching himself the truths about who God is before his heart has actually caught up. Sometimes you drag your heart along until eventually God allows it to, to catch up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much with so many things, like you said, with the arts, especially because they're so kind of intertwined with our emotional state and our fears and our worries and our cares are so, I think, intertwined with the, with the expression, with our expression. But if we look at our expression as praise versus um well how else how else are we tempted to look at expression let's talk about that for a minute you um gave a really good post on that this week with the john ruskin quote i felt like that kind of touched on a little bit of it he gave a he gave a few different options for what art could be and um but the the main I think the, the main issue was that it's what, what our heart is prone to revere. Was that the, the gist of the post? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though, so we really don't know if he was a believer or not, ultimately, that he still, I think, knew that as a truth, that that all art is praise. Mm-hmm. So... And so- we will reflect what impresses us, I think, mm-hmm. the most. Yeah, and I think a lot of the hang-up in, uh, in drawing is, even if it's, a, if it's a technical thing, it's not so subjective, it still becomes um, 
trying to praise, bring praise to yourself. Um, yeah. Look, right. look, look what I did. Look what I drew. Mm-hmm. But we know that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So much like this theme in your book, um, that's when we are given motivation and power to praise because we've looked at the face of God and we've been in, in awe of him. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how do you think moms can do that um, going forward with their own students? Like how, how, I guess, how does this thought of praise spill over into everyday life and how we can, not their students, their, their children, how can we be showing that to them? Sure. I think, in, in my opinion, I think that cultivating a skill is inherently glorifying to God because you're taking what God has given you, you're stewarding your, your eyes and your mind and your hands and your heart towards something that's of, of worth, especially to someone else. So I, and you and I have talked about this too. Um, Bezel, I think it was his name in Exodus 31, who was commissioned for the temple. He was a, the Bible says he was a skilled artisan. And so it honored the Lord that in the, the making and the crafting of his temple, that they should choose someone who was very skilled at their work to work on it so that it could be beautiful and show God's glory and beauty. And so I just think about all of these things that we're, we're given, the students that we're given, the time that we're given, the resources that we are given, it is all for cultivation of making ourselves useful to someone else and to reflect God's glory and beauty ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, uh, that's one of the, uh, Bezalel is one of the very, I guess, unsung heroes, if you will, in the Bible. You don't hear much about him. It wasn't until I got to um, art college that I found out that there was such a person in the Bible. And so he would be the the artist that we like to reference in the Bible who, yeah, he was called to work on the tabernacle and, and make it beautiful. But he was, it was almost like, have you ever heard that thing about, um, I don't know if, the, if this makes sense to you, but success is preparation combined with opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. He was like, he worked on his skill. So I don't, I, in this entire conversation, I don't want to minimize the fact that there's excellence in the arts and that we should be working on our brush strokes and our drawing skills and our observation skills. That is, um, that's what he did. He was a skilled guy and God took that, um, that life, if you will, he, he, he made that, he made that happen in him of the skill and everything, but he, he Bezalel worked at that. He was committed to that in his life. And then God said, you're the man, you're going to work on this tabernacle. And uh, then it says that God filled him with his spirit to do so. And um, I just, I just love that, that he, he chose him to work on something so specific in scripture and um, as the tabernacle. 
<laughs> I agree. It's it's so cool that, yeah, God's just given us all these gifts and they're so different. There's, you know, a myriad possibilities for what you can do in life and so many skills. So he's he's also just, he just lavishes us with these things. And we, we get to spend our lives doing this. And I think that we will have, we have, we will have some type of vacation in heaven that we will uh, have sort of like, in essence, we've, we would have practiced here before we got there. And now like looking at the face of God that we will be, we will be glorified. So there won't be sin involved and we won't be selfish and we won't be thinking of ourselves and it will be for other people's benefit. So I always think about, you know, how, how is this discipline that I'm doing going to look in heaven eventually? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I have, I read the book called to create by Jordan Rayner and he was talking about how, yeah. Um, Call to create in his in his book is more of an entrepreneurial term, but I artists could fall under that as well under the creating, and um, yeah, he definitely referenced that we would carry our skills and the the good things, the um, excellent things that God might want those in heaven. I honestly don't know much about that, so that's as far as I'm going to take that. Sure. I would love to. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, who even knows about heaven? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who even? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had kind of talked to you a little bit about this concept I've been reading about recently in a book called God's Battle Plan for the Mind by David Saxton. Mm-hmm. And he, so this is the Puritan practice of biblical meditation. But I was struck by a concept in here called occasional meditation. Um, And I think I wrote a post about it. But basically, the idea is that every occasion provides an opportunity for a plethora of spiritual lessons to be gained if one has the eyes to see them. And then this author explained that occasional meditation is when a man takes an occasion by what he sees or by what he hears or by what he thinks of when he takes an occasion by anything that is sensitive to raise up his thoughts to heavenly meditation. Occasional meditation is when a man makes use of the creature as a footstool to raise him up to God as a ladder to heaven. Herein lies the excellency of a Christian that he is able to spiritualize natural things. Wow. I love that. And I am going to have to get my hands on that book. I so was good. reading in Romans 1, um, specifically verse 19, it basically says the things that are created um, are put there to make us realize that there's a God. Um, so I'll read it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Get this in the things that have been made. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. The natural world when we take our kids out to go and uh, do nature drawing and 
all those different things. Um, not to put pressure on or anything, but after you take them, they're without excuse. (laughs) (laughs) But I also in that, um, I don't want to minimize that the word of God is even more clearly showing us the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And second to that is the nature that God created. It calls us to contemplate and meditate on the glory that we find in nature and it should be making our eyes go towards the maker of that um, creation not just finding the glory of the creation but the maker of it is the one who um, our souls desire Mm -hmm. I think so too and I think that's what this book kind of talks about with that concept is that it's not just there for its own sake, but it's to lift our thoughts up to a heavenly reality or a spiritual reality. And I mean, Jesus was the master of that in the New Testament, just speaking parables and telling what the kingdom of God was compared to what we see in this life. Um, So it's not to say that we can like parabolize everything like Jesus did, nor do I think we should, but it is very useful for those moments that we do need to be reminded who God is and it's it's everywhere around us. We just sometimes need to have our eyes open to that, which kind of leads me into just the practice of drawing really being an actual cultivation of those observational skills and noticing and seeing. And I think that there's something unique about drawing that just helps helps you do that and it also gets you not thinking so much on you know what do you got to do next what what's the next logical thing I need to do today what's my to-do list it's just kind of being right there and only trying to look at something very carefully so I think it gives our souls rest it should and I think oftentimes it does hopefully if you're doing it right (laughs) Yeah, and just to recap, like it's totally related to this um, this thing where we get too caught up in ourselves and perfectionism because then we sit in <laughs> the place full of something that the perfect creator made and then we try to just, and we do enjoy it and we are just completely immersed in this and we just can draw. And I don't think... I don't think it should be that difficult to be focusing on not ourselves and on more on God when we're doing that as well. That's what Lilius Trotter found. Yeah. I probably need a ton of reminders to not think of myself though. I'm pretty selfish when it comes to living my life and trying to, you know, make sure I take care of my needs and everybody else can get fed after I get fed. (laughs) (laughs) that way. But especially, especially though, in today's culture where we are very focused on ourselves, we're very self-focused, we are very self-glorifying, we are, tr- we try to look for within for our help. And that is the opposite of what we should be doing as believers. We should be looking from without ourselves to 
the God of the universe, the one who created us and, and to others, to others that we can serve. So I, I hope that, you know, as we age and mature, that we will continually be dying to ourselves. At least that's my prayer. Yeah, you're right. It's such a process. Absolutely. Yes. Sometimes we have the blessing of seeing ourselves have victory in those things. And sometimes we don't see them and we won't see them until when we're um, fully complete in Christ. Yeah. Well, to encourage imams out there who are listening, hopefully you can at least identify with, you know, how Elizabeth and I have struggled through this personally, but what you're going through in your own life. I hope that we can kind of bring it home with some really practical ideas. And maybe Elizabeth, you've thought of a couple of things we can do, or perhaps something we could say to our children in the moment of a frustrating time or frustration with a skill that we're trying to learn, you know, even outside of drawing and painting and the arts. Um, We have these precious children that we we are in charge of them and we are kind of shepherding them. So a shepherd is very gentle. And a lot of the times I don't want to be gentle. <laughs> so <laughs> I wondered if you have found anything in particular that you find helpful with your young young children. And Yeah, um, I have found it. Um, not so much with my children, but the, some of the children in my co-op and some of my students. I used to teach grade um, five through seven art. And one thing I found very helpful was, um, to not, not to minimize when they say that they think that their work is not good because, um, there's still that tension, right? There's the tension between, oh, just do it for enjoyment and do it for glorifying God. And then there's a tension that, that these things are held in balance with the excellence portion. And they're still trying to wrap their brains around this. So one thing that I have found helpful to talk to them, talk them through is the fact that they're going to hit a point in their studies where suddenly it's going to become evident to them that their art doesn't measure up. And they're going to see the distance between where they are and where they want to be. They might see an older sibling. They might be looking at like professional paintings. They might be looking at cartoons. I don't know, but they know that what they're drawing doesn't measure up. That usually happens in the middle school years. And um, that realization is also compounded just by the fact that they're a little bit more insecure at at that age. Um, So what I have found the best thing to say is to praise them for the fact that they actually could see that um and try not to center them out obviously don't be like oh yeah you can see that yours is not good well Susie's over here is excellent we don't don't want to be doing that just if they if you can have a private conversation with them be like you know not not many people younger than you are able to see that there is a distance and that everyone has this learning and then talk to them about how learning is such a natural thing and sometimes it can get frustrating to see how far that if they if they have that desire to go far they're going to see that there's that distance so just talking to them about the distance and seeing like I just say I'm impressed that you have hit that stage where you see that 
there's work to be done and then go alongside them and say, this is what we can do. This is where we're going to go with this. Show me the type of work you want to do. Show, show me kind of what you saw that made you suddenly tell me that you didn't like your artwork. Sometimes though, I said this in one of my podcasts, it can just be, um, it can just be a plea for feedback. It can be a call for just like, Hey, can you look at mine and tell me, tell me what you think and um, Mm. want want affirmation because, um, uh, like we said, creatives make themselves vulnerable in a way that others don't. And, uh, it's 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 a weird thing to come and step into that state of being (laughs) so it's a little bit of that and then yeah just saying this is this is what's available to you you can do these art lessons and this is the path that you'll take these are the steps that you might want to take break it down for them because then it doesn't seem quite so huge to them and you know they might you might walk away, but um, it is common at that age that kids will drop their artwork at that age, and even if maybe they had potential and they wanted to continue on with it and find their joy in it again, um, a lot of adults are interviewed and they are asked to draw and their artwork has been at a standstill since they were at that age where they came to the realization. And, um, it's because nobody offered them lessons. So that is, yeah, that's just something mm. to encourage them into say there, there are lessons and this is how this can be done. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I love that point that you brought up. It's so optimistic rather than being um it's not like you're like catering to their insecurities and you're not praising them. You're saying, "Hey, this is actually what you want. You want to have your eyes open to see this this difference here." So, I think that's awesome. Thanks. Okay, so Elizabeth, I think I want to help people apply this and I'm going to kind of draw it to (laughs) draw. I'm going to kind of say a couple things that there's different ways to use drawing and there's different ways to do, I guess, participate in the arts. Sometimes you just want to have fun and sometimes you're trying to actually like get some information from something like, you know, I'm thinking, a profession now even is to courtroom sketch because you can't take cameras in there. So there's a very useful, purposeful um, reason why you're doing it. So I'm wondering if if there's a way that you can help moms to remember what the purpose of what they're doing is. Yeah, I had that kind of sketched out. I feel like um, <laughs> there's so many different sketched out. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> How many? I feel like I've got so many P words going on on my page, <laughs> my notes. So I had kind of um, outlined there's praise and worship that can be, that's the arts. Then there is it, underneath that, 
there's the excellence in the arts. And then, so we, we want to look really at the, the purpose, right? Is it, do we, do we actually need to be focusing a lot, a lot on the excellence or is that just for learning? Um, and then the P where there is no room for is the perfectionism. So there's no, there is no room. There's, there's not even on my, on my list. So that's a hard issue, by the way. And so what I got under purpose is, yeah, is it learning? Um, so we have expectations in learning. There are lessons that we have to do. And there are practice times that goes for piano, that goes for, for all of those things. And there are certain things, actually, that we do in, in underneath those expectations. That will actually help minimize the perfectionism. Because if you're keeping up with your lessons, then you're not going to be so like focused on, well, maybe it's not so much perfectionism, it's more insecurity. Because like, you know, when a child shows up at their piano teachers and they're like, did you practice? They're like, no, I didn't practice. And they're like, well, that's your problem. And that's why you don't want to sit down on the piano bench. And you know what I mean? There's ill preparation. Then there is um, a purpose that I find just so pleasant is the observing so just nature drawing. I would love, I, I haven't done this, but I've seen a ton of them online. And I know you have seen them. The phonology wheels, is that what they're called? Oh, yes. Yep. I know a few people who do those. I could spend so much time on one of those. And I haven't at this point because I've got other things going on, but I would love to do one of those. And that would yeah. be completely for, that would be a mommy, like a guilty pleasure right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't want to invite my kids to do that. Although they would probably have a lot of um, fun doing it as well. So yeah. we observing though, um, don't forget that um, these are this is an excellent way to turn their hearts toward God. It's not the complete way, but it does require a response. So that's another one under the purpose. The purpose of having nature and for us to be observing nature is actually God's plan to require a response from us. So that's what I was saying there without, obviously at, at a certain age, but there's going to be a point where they'll be like, oh, um, I owe thanks and gratitude to the person who created these amazing things. All right. I am rudely pausing this conversation here to just talk a little bit about my drawing course. It's called Brush, Chalk, and Charcoal Foundations in Drawing. And it could be one of the best things that you put into your homeschool and into your life that will help you with your temptation to be perfectionistic. As Elizabeth and I have been talking, we've been talking about the effort of practice, of lessons, and definitely having a path moving forward on how you can gain skill. So that's one way that I want to help you with that. Please go to my website and on the front page you will see that you can click on a button there that says show me the course and you can learn all about it on my webpage. I have FAQs, I have um, sample videos for you, and I have a total breakdown of the content in the course as well. I will put all of those links in the show notes. So without further ado, let's get back to the conversation. Anyway, moving on. Okay. An overarching thing I think here is to glorify God, right? The purpose in everything we do in our um, vocations and in things not to do with the arts is glorifying God. Then there's just like have a, have fun, do a paint night. I've done paint nights with people, and it's more of a fellowship time than anything. And mm-hmm. I, we even get so um, 
Yeah, get so silly as I had one paint class with a bunch of friends and they or a paint night and they had me um they had me critique their paintings and it mm. was <laughs> it was a lot of fun because it was friends who we can just be really casual and funny with and it was just a hilarious time um because none of them like none of them were artists and it was it was just a lot of fun and we also had this one birthday party where we all drew uh, we we took we took time to draw the portrait of the person whose birthday it was but we all added something on this face it was a hoot and a holler but anyway <laughs> oh like each of you took a little aspect of his face to draw yeah. and cast it yeah let oh, me tell that's you fun. there was nothing excellent going on there except for a bunch of good fun with people <laughs> So fun. Yeah. That's a good idea for your kid's next birthday party. Yeah. And that from a mom on Instagram who did that. They've kept the portrait in somewhere in their house. I haven't seen it, but they tell me they have. So, um, so then this last one that you referenced um, in your your Ruskin quote, I think it was, and it was to draw our hearts into the state of being in love with God. The yes. occasional meditation when we aren't feeling like it. Repeat, repeating the truths about God in song or simply preaching those things to ourselves as a way to turn our affections there. And I think when we were talking about this earlier, you were like, ooh, how Charlotte Mason of you. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. It's so not about you. It's not in so many ways like what we do with our kids. It's not about making them to be the best human in the world. It's it's uh, so that they can grow up to be able to serve others and to be a useful person, but but ultimately to find their their rest in in Christ and not in the the marks that they're getting and the accolades that they get and the praise they get from people for doing such a great job, which I think dovetails nicely, very nicely into uh, me asking you to read an excerpt of your book. I think I'd love to hear. And I think everyone would love to hear too. Okay. I'll start on the first page and go up until it feels like it's good to stop. Crickets chirp, chirp, chirped their lullaby, but Fuzby didn't hear them. He sat on his bed and for the 10th time, he tried to sing sweetly. A creaky croak from his throat teetered and tumbled into an ugly honk instead. Peacocks sound more like donkeys than birds, Fuzby fumed. Hee-haw, hee-haw, hee-honk, honk, honk. He began to cry. Tears splatted down onto a crumpled invitation on his quilt. He read it again. It said, you're invited. Come and sing for God. Who? The new chicks of the Garden of Eden. Where? The concert cathedral. When? Tomorrow night. Sincerely, Adam. Fesby heard Pop Peacock shuffle up behind him. Why so blue, Peacock? He chuckled at his own pun, but Fuzby just shrugged. Fuzby? He sat down, wrapping his warm wing around him. Then Fuzby let it all spill out. Pop, is there any way to make my praise better? All I do is honk. God won't like my voice, and the other birds praise God better than me. I just want to stay home. When Fuzby was done, wise old Pop Peacock leaned in close. I have a secret just for you, he said with a twinkle under his bushy brows. Fesby leaned in to hear. 
There will be someone at the concert who will make your praise absolutely stunningly spectacular, said Pop. Who? cried Fuzby. Oh, I think you'll know him when you see him. Don't worry. I'm going to stop right there. So good. I can't wait to hear what happens. <laughs> oh, and you guys, Elizabeth is illustrating this book. So all of her original illustrations will be in this book. I'm excited. I'm excited for this book. I'm excited for this project that you're doing that you're illustrating these illustrations to go with. I think it's going to be wonderful. And I I have to say, you drew kind of like a little tear out of the corner of my eye <laughs> as you were reading that. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. It's, um, I love, I love where the story is going and I love the whole idea behind it, obviously. So thank you for coming on Bestowing the Brush. Thank you for spending your time here with us and encouraging us and reminding us what our purpose is and how we can help our children. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, Dallas. Thanks so much. Well, I had so much fun talking with Elizabeth. Thank you for coming along for that. I want you to check out her book, The Peacock's Praise. It is right now in pre-sale, and it is the children's fictional storybook addressing our need for affirmation in the arts and the God-given solution for our hearts. There are 32 pages of delightful illustrations, and it's for about six to 10-year-olds check the show notes for that link. And as always, happy drawing. Uh, my husband is also texting me that the children are very hungry and are um, wandering around <laughs> aimless and withering away from hunger, bereft <laughs> of entertainments and growing hopeless of your return. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs>